0: I have no, what do you call it today? Um, But I will try as much as possible to speak so clearly so that uh, we can all understand what I'm about to talk about. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful evening that you will bring us together to learn at your feet. I just ask that you will guide my words and that your children will look beyond the speaker to hear in a way that their lives will be impacted. I speak, Lord, not because I'm exempted, but, Lord, because I want to listen to you as well. I pray that you will feed your sheep tonight in Jesus' name, amen. What I have prepared to speak about this evening, it's a a subject that we are all familiar with. The title of my message tonight is, Have No Other God. Uh, The occasion of this subject is um, the first, uh, the Ten Commandment, when God tells the people of Israel that you should have no other God beside me. For several weeks before I was asked to speak, I've been contemplating, pondering about how crucial, how important is this commandment to God And I was thinking in an household, if we are going to set a rule or some rules for ourselves, you have to start from the one that is most important. Perhaps in my house, if I'm going to say my family, let's sit down and just come up with some rules. Or even at Rejoice Club, we have some rules. And the first rule is to respect the house of God. It's so important. To respect God so in my mind I'm thinking if God says I have no other God he must be very paramount he must be very crucial why will he want that he wants us not to have any other image or any unbiblical depiction or misrepresentation of himself he fully want us to follow him. And that is why he's saying that. As I was preparing this message last week, there is a, if you listen to CGLU, there is a back to Bible, I've forgotten the guy, the the brother's name, and he he started the Ten Commandments, and the first one he chose was, have no other God beside me and he was talking about it, I said, oh, you make my life easier. <laughs> uh, so, but I like the way he handled it, but I would beg to fed off a little bit about the importance of this world. And what I plan to do is to show you some of the attributes. And they're not just merely attributes of God. They are his essence, essence of his presence. And that makes it more important why he's directing us that you should worship me alone. God is a jealous God. He wants your worship, he wants your love. The first four commandments, he's directed to himself. Our love for God. And it's no wonder that the first one that God will give is that do not look for any other God besides me. Worship me fully with all that you've got. The occasion of this was, we are familiar with the story of the people of Israel after God singularly brought them out from the land of Egypt. And through Moses, the God is commandment. And the first one is, you should love me. I'm going to share with you tonight things that are likely going to take our eyes away from God. People just don't fear of and worship other God. There are some steps that are perhaps they are not really taking regards of that will completely make the misstep and take them away from the part of God. We are going to look into that. And I have prepared two Bible characters. There are so many of them. I prepared to talk about Daniel as an example and Caleb, but because of time, I will not talk about Daniel. I believe Brother David Macdonald has done so well with Daniel, but I will talk about David about about Caleb, because Caleb, God gave a testimony about Caleb, and I love I love him so much that I oftentimes go back to Caleb to study him. Not so many people in the Bible that God will say, this is a guy who has followed me fully, and we will get there. But why is it so important that God will say, do not have any other God before me? It is a prohibition. When I look into the concordance, I, I had the law. It's a law we are you are prohibited. And again, God wants you to love him exclusively. He wants us to follow him fully. And it is possible if we follow the step of, the, of Caleb. The first attribute of God that I prepared this evening is that our God is unique and is without rival. God is unique and is without rival who he is like God, that we can compare him to. If you will turn your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 9, verse 14. Exodus, chapter 9, verse 14 says, I will be reading from uh, New King James Bible. He said, for at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart, speaking to Pharaoh, and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. God is telling us that there is none like him. God is a being that is above all, other, all others. Thankfully, this morning, I was listening to Brother John. And he gave a scripture, which is in John, a a passage, which is in John chapter 3, verse 31. And he says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the heart is earthly and speak of the heart. He who comes from heaven is above all. God is above all. That is just one of his attributes. He has no rival, and is very unique. He's a unique God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. God is above all. He has no rival and he's unique, and that is why he's asking you to follow him fully. He said, I'm a jealous God. And in the book book of Ezekiel, he says, I can visit the iniquities of one generation to the fourth generation. I can cast you out. I can make your head short. And God is saying this with all trepidations, with all fear. He wants us to love him and at the same time fear him. And he's saying that I am a jealous God because I'm jealous of your worship. I need it. I'm jealous of your love. And rightly so, God is jealous because if you choose any other God, it is at your own expense. The Bible tells us that there is no salvation in any other person. Only God. So if you choose any other thing, it is at the expense of your life. And he wouldn't want you to do that. And that is why he's saying, I'm jealous. Worship me fully. Love me fully. And that is what we will see in the life of Caleb. The history and scriptures is beset with people who have challenged God about his uniqueness and his greatness. King Pharaoh challenged God, and we know how it all ended. When Moses would tell him, this is the, this is the plague that I'm going to bring again, he will call, Pharaoh will call all of his other magicians to come and replicate what Moses has done. And we all know how it ended. Satan challenged the greatness of God when he told Adam and Eve, Chapter three in Genesis, when he said, "As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden," he's challenging God. But as we just saying, our God is great; He has no rifle. and He's a unit God. Point number two is that our God is a God of great glory. Exodus chapter 20, verse five, if you are still there, the God is telling us, that he said, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquities of fathers upon their children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And I think by that age, God is saying for those who reject me. Isaiah chapter 42 verse eight said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. The same Isaiah forty six verse nine says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's no order. I am God and there is none like me. I am who I am. All this talks about God's greatness. He, he is our shield. We find that in, uh, in Genesis chapter 15. God is God Almighty and is our peace. He's our provider. He gives us satisfaction. And that all that speaks of his his greatness and and glory. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45 says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God is. It's a God of great glory. He is a unique God, and he has no rival. The third attribute of God is that God is glorious in holiness. I have prepared some visions of certain prophets in the Bible. Perhaps you might need to read these for the sake of time on your own. And these are prophets who are speaking of God's holiness, in their vision, it was revealed to them. Isaiah chapter six, if you read from verse, you know, from, uh, verse one to three, it talks about the greatness, the, the glory, and the holiness of God. Ezekiel chapter one, reading from 26 to 28. Daniel chapter seven, nine to 14. And Revelation chapter four, verse two, and eight to eleven, all of them are talking about the holiness of God. I would, I would want you, I would like if you would read it at your, at your own time. And uh, in Revelation, we all knew when you know John, when this was revealed to John. And chapter 5, verse two says, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. From verses said the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That points to the, you know, to the greatness of God. The fourth attribute is that our God is the God who does wonder. God is unique, God is great, and God is holy. The fourth one is that it's the God who does wonder. And here I put down the creation on its own. We just sang, How great thou art. If you think about God and how great he is, just step out and just look around you and see all of his creation and you will see how great God is. And especially the redemption miracle of Jesus Christ, the virgin bird. How can that be? That God will come Step out from, from heaven into this darkness in order to save people like us, sinners. It's a miracle. It's a wonder that a virgin womb would conceive. Our God is a God of wonders. Then the cross. The cross is another, is another wonder. If you would like to turn your Bible to the book of Hebrew, Hebrew chapter 10, reading from verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his foes too. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's what the Lord did. And in, in verse 17, then he heard, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It's a wonder that God himself would die for us in our place. God is a God of wonder. His resurrection is wonderful as well. I have never seen or heard someone else who has risen from death. That's a wonder. He makes us to want to believe God that only him deserve our worship. I remember back home when I was still in Nigeria, one thing that actually led me to Christ was there is a saying where I come from that if a person would take care of you and if a, pro- if a person promised to look after you and to take care of you, The first thing you want to know about that person is how well has he taken care of himself? So when Christ promised that I was promised, that Christ has given me life and that he has resurrected, and because he has resurrected, I will live eternally. I believed him. Because you cannot give what you do not have. So in my culture, they will ask you that whoever promised you a good thing, you want to know how good God in himself. Christ has guarded. He resurrected. It's a wonderful God. And those are the attributes and the essence of God. But what are the things that makes us not to walk, not to want to follow him fully? After knowing that our God is a wonderful God and that our God is unique, Our God is great. We still live in this world, and we are not fully committed to him. And I want to present to you the life of Caleb so that we can learn. The Bible is full of people, both negative and positive people that we can learn from. But Caleb is a good example, and I want you to pay attention to how we deal with it. It's a story, an historical account of the Bible that you are all familiar with but I think you can, we can learn one or two things from the life of Caleb. If you will turn your Bible to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. This morning we heard about a testimony that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, during the baptism. When, John was, when, he was, when Christ was being baptized, the voice from the heaven said, this is, beho- this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." It's a testimony. There are so many other characters that God testified directly, and Caleb is one of them. And this is what God has to say of Caleb. He said, but my servant, Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, he had followed me fully. Brother John uh, McKim will want you to pay attention to adverbs in the Bible. Fully, wholly, persistently, consistently. Indivisible. Exclusively. Caleb has followed God fully. And that is God writing his testimony to Caleb. Not man. Just like he said of his son that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. For him will I bring into the land whereinto he went. That's the land of Canaan, Canaan where he went to spy out. And his seed Shall I possess it? There is a, because God has testified goodness about him, he has some rewards to it. But what is it that makes Caleb to follow God fully? And what is it that can prevent us from not following God fully? We will see. The first thing that I put down here is corruption. You remember after the people of Israel marched out of Egypt, and they dwell in the wilderness. And the first thing they said when Moses was nowhere to be found, they went to Haran and said, what? Make us another God. Since we can't find, we don't know what happened to to Moses, we want another God who will lead us from now on. And I think I was reflecting, I said, what will make them The people of Israel, who has dwelled in a land called Goshen in Egypt, they they are foreign to all these idols. But now they wanted idol, a craving image. Even when the Lord has brought them the commandment, the prohibition that do not follow any other God beside me. Now they are asking Aaron, make us a God, an idol. They've been corrupted. If you would turn your Bible to the book of Psalms, Chapter 14, verse three. Psalms 14, verse three says, they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Corruption, that's what corruption will do in our life. We live in a world and a culture that is so corrupt. We can be compromised, it's contagious. There are so many Christians who are raised up in a biblical home, Christian homes, they understood creation even before they went, you know, they, they, they went to the um, higher institutions and they've turned to become evolutionists. They've turned to become a postmodernist, or what do you call them? They've been, you know, started learning from the curriculums of the world. And this is what, is what corruption can do to the people. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 20, verse 9. Ezekiel, chapter 20, verse 9. And I read, But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles, among whom they were, pay attention to that word, among whom they were, in whose sight I have made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But there is a good example in Caleb. Caleb was part of, part of the people who were marched out from the land of Egypt. He was not corrupted, he followed God fully. He wasn't listening to the circumstances around him. And their circumstance was that Moses was nowhere. That was their circumstance. We have reason to believe that there are so many things that surround us. There are so many reasons that might make us to want to turn away from God. And that is one. We have to be careful. Corruption. God doesn't want us. He wants us to focus on him. You remember when Jesus Christ asked Peter to follow him. He started a ride. He has his eyes set on Jesus Christ and he was walking on the water. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, he started sinking. we should not be corrupt in this world. The world is hell-bent, but God has brought us like, you know, to be light and salt of the world and that we should not be, we should not be corrupted or compromised or influenced in any other way. One other reason that can take our eyes off from God and make us not to follow God fully is when we lose our assurance of faith in God. Losing our assurance of faith in God can take our eyes away from God. When, when Brother John Simon was here, he made the Bible a biblical reference that really stuck with me, and I want you to turn to it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And I read, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated us, through the veil that is his body, and having a high priest over the house of God, and this is it, Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I have siblings in Nigeria, and every so often, um, we will participate in WhatsApp, com- you know, communicating and all that. It, it, I do that very frequently, it's so inexpensive, you know, uh, compared to phone calls, and I really enjoy it. And I always talk to them about God. They will ma- mention their problems or whatever their circumstances are, and I will respond. But I noticed that a lot of them are doing, they are just faring away from God because they have lost the assurance of their faith. They do no longer believe in God's sovereignty. They go to pastors and reverends and people up in the mountain to pray for them. When Jesus is there, that he says, direct all your needs to me. They travel hundreds of kilometers to see a special pastor. Who will be able to minister to them in a the way that their, their problems will disappear? And I keep referring them back to the Bible. So one thing I notice about God, when you begin to lose your focus, your assurance of your faith, the Bible says without wavering, fully, that's what the word means to Caleb. It's not partial. Exclusively, persistently, and consistently, he was following God. So that's, another, that's one other thing that can distract us. And that will lead us and our eyes away from God. The third point is when we neglect or we forget God and His promise. The Bible is full with God's promises in our life. And we can claim them. And I do that often because the Bible is practical. In you know, all my circumstances, I looked at what God has done. Is Our God is able. If he's done it for someone, why not me? I always claim it. But when we neglect God's promise or we forget it, our, we, are ten, you know, we have the tendency to take our eyes away from him. And this is where Caleb even actually came to prominence. Like you all you all know the historical account when Moses gathered twelve spies and he sent them to the land of Canaan. And the, the 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 message is so clear. Just go and spy out, scope out, scope it out. I just want to know what we are going what we are going to get into. And these twelve people, they went. I wouldn't know the name of other sort of ten, but you know that Joshua and Caleb were the ones that were on the right side of God. And they came back with reports. I just want to use this illustration to depict your circumstances and my circumstances. And see the circumstances that that the Israelites were in. And when they scoped the land of Canaan, 12 of them came back. And you will notice that they agreed on certain facts. And the fact is still in our life we know certain things in our life that are factual. And these 12 people also agreed on 12 things, and I will point your attention to it. After 40 days when the spies have completed their task and brought back the report, it is remarkable that all the 12 agreed on several facts. One, they all agreed that the land of Canaan was good, flowing with milk and honey. They brought back, a huge cluster of grave from Hesco. Number two, they agreed that the inhabitants of the land were, for the most part, warlike people. Number three, all of them agreed that they were giants in the land, big men, eight to nine feet tall. The Bible called them the children of Anak. Another agreement is that They all agreed that the city were walled about there were great strongholds. Then again, they agreed that it would be very complicated and difficult to fight against this enemy. They all told the true story as far as the facts were concerned. They all agreed, but they disagreed, and I want you to listen to their disagreement. However, when it came to the consequence of those facts, when it came to the conclusion, the bottom line, what shall we do? They disagree. The major report, the 10th, presented a very negative report. They said there was no use for us to try to overcome this enemy. They were too strong and too large. It is impossible. Again, they said, we. Be not able to stand up to these people, for they are stronger than us. And so they brought an evil report to the land. And they told all this to the people of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And the conclusion is that what? We are in our own sight, as grasshoppers, and we were in their side like grasshoppers. Can you imagine at the time, if, you have, if the report is being read to two million Israel at the time, the circumstance, the situation, the bleak and gloomy situation that they, they just um, give to them, the account of what they found, and the people were so hopeless, they lost faith in God, and they believed they they couldn't do it. Fear and unbelief took hold of them. But Caleb stood out and told them, he said, we should not forget God and his promises. For God has already told them, he said, go into that land and possess the land which your God has given to you to possess. That is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 11. God has already made a promise that this land, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. But they forget or neglect God's promise. And Caleb stood out and said, no, our God is able. But I want you to know that we are all prone to look at our circumstances rather than our God. Is it a business trouble, family trouble, separation, looking for jobs? What is your giant? God wants you to know that our God is able. Our God is a God of possibility. Nothing impossible for God to do. Don't look at your circumstances. Look unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. So we are encouraged by this. God is asking you not to be overwhelmed by the people and the problems that that you are surrounded with. Just look unto Jesus. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things through him that strengthens us. In, 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 a, in a nutshell, we had to look unto our living God and say that God is able. And because of that, Caleb stood out and was able to tell the people of Israel that we can do this. These are the facts. I agree with you. But what is the consequence of those facts? What is the bottom line? The bottom line is God is on our side. That is enough. That is the faith. And we are told that he has another spirit. The indwelling spirit of God was in Caleb. And he wouldn't waver. He wouldn't turn to any other God because he believed that his God is able. And I will conclude tonight by just, I'm not, I'm not an expert when it comes to the dispensation of law and grace. But there's something so remarkable about Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments, no one is able to fulfill it. Brother John was able to tell us that we can, no one is righteous enough to fulfill, not even one. If you list all the Ten Commandments, I have breaking them from one to ten. And I can identify with Paul during the breaking of bread this morning that he said, I'm a sinner. I'm a chief of all sinners. And so it is impossible for any one of us to fulfill that Ten commandment. But I like the way when Jesus came, the tone was quite different. Jesus did not say, you should not. He was imploring us. Jesus was imploring us, and this is who I am. Don't worship any other God because this is who I am. I love the way Christ presented himself and his exclusiveness to us. He's not making it like a law. I'm going to read Hebrew verse 12 that says, you know, if you if you turn your Bible quickly to the book of Hebrew verse 18, Hebrew 12, verse 18 says, for you have not come to the mountain that may, that may be touched and that burn with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of the word so that those who heard it, this is talking about the time when Moses was talking, when he was dealing with God to bring the Ten Commandments. And the, the writer of Hebrew is telling us how bad that we have it in Jesus Christ. And he's telling us that you have, you have not come to that mountain. And verse 20 says, For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. That's the situation with the law. It's trembling, scared, scary. But in Christ, look at verse 22. But you have come to the Mount Zion. And 24 says to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of the baby In Christ, we have everything better, much more, which is so profound in the book of Hebrew. Christ is not just ringing the bell of the law, but he's imploring us, but the message is still the same. Follow me fully. And God is imploring you. say, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and life. Look at the simplicity. Look at the tone. Look at whom that we have come to. The hand, you know, when you are given the law, it's like you are, you are just banging the table to tell them, do not, do not. But see what we have found in Jesus Christ. He's imploring you and me. He's ready to hold us hand to hand and lead us and guide us to himself. I am a good shepherd. And he's telling you that is the same message. I'm exclusive. There's no other way. There's no salvation in any other person. I am the resurrection. I am the life, the way. And I found it more pleasing, more comforting. And that is who Christ is. So in Christ, we found things, it, it gets better. The hammer of the law is not just thumping the table. Do not, do not. But God is inviting. If you are here tonight and you are not sure, if you have believed in that name, Jesus Christ, or you are here and you are still struggling, to follow Christ fully. Don't give up. Even though the Lord God has testified of Christ that this is my beloved son. I was telling Tony today, I said, do you know that God has said that of every one of us? He has testified. If you are a believer, God has told you that he's well pleased with you. Because if God said this about Jesus, and Jesus did this for you, it's an hypothetical syllogism. Hypothetically, you are covered. God is telling you that this is my son in whom I've, I'm well pleased. This is my sister in whom I'm well Because Christ has done that for you. And if God can say that of Jesus, you are included. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your words that have gone out. I just pray that better than the way it's been communicated, that your Holy Spirit will walk in our heart to make it more easier for us to follow you fully so that the spirit that is in Caleb, Lord, by grace, you will give it to us so that we will have the desire to follow you fully. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to listen to you. I pray that as many of us that have issues and problems, Lord, And we just pray that, Lord, we will not look into our circumstances, but we will look unto you, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We want to believe that you are able and that you are God of possibility. Lord, I pray, everyone that is present here, I pray that you will meet every one of us at the point of our needs at the point of our condition and circumstances, that we will lift our hearts and we will behold you and that we will be able to follow you fully. As we step our Lord into our ho- you know, to go to our homes, we pray that, Lord, you will guide and you will protect. Our week is in your hand. We ask that, Lord, you will meet every one of us at the point of our needs. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.